Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode is actually the first part of a three-part series titled Truth, Justice, and the American Way, through which we will explore those values as they relate to storytelling in Supergirl, fiction in general, politics, and more. It's a bit different than our usual episodes in that the way that we talk about Supergirl is more to serve the concepts than it usually is, whereas we bring up ideas and, and real-life context typically to explain the show. We're going to explore truth, justice, and American way and storytelling in a bit more focus. Mm. Yeah. And we started developing this idea back in January in the wake of the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, which was a kind of watershed moment for politics in the United States. And it's actually something that the show Supergirl has delved into. Mm. And it's kind of through Kara taken another look at the original truth, justice and the American way motto that belonged to Superman and tried to recontextualize it in the modern era a little bit. So Mm. we in kind of thinking about all these different social issues that are going on and also the way the show pulls from real life as all creative media does coming up with a way to kind of combine those things and address some of that in a way that's both relevant to the television show but also to understanding media generally Mm -hmm. yeah and this first episode in this three-part series centers around truth and storytelling and how storytelling relates to truth how truth is portrayed within the story of supergirl and the stories we tell ourselves as a sort of fitting way to try to understand everything that's happening (laughs) in both the show and in life. Correct. (laughs) So I thought it would make sense for us to take a look at the tools that we have at our disposal to understand what truth is, in particular with relation to like logic, that being our brains. We tend to consider the brain to be fairly powerful, and it could be argued that the way it functions makes us the most capable species on the planet. But that doesn't mean that we are perfectly logical or even the most logical species on the planet, or that we even have the most brain power. Take, for instance, chimps, who outscore us in games that test working memory, processing speed, and my favorite, deception. What? (laughs) Which is just, yeah, fun. Harkening back to our other episode on truth, more directly related to Supergirl. So because we are not perfect processors and don't have perfect memory, etc., we have these great shortcuts which help us survive and make us very efficient decision makers, which we've talked about like heuristics before in other episodes. But they can hurt us when we try to engage in more difficult or like precise thinking. There's this article in the Frontiers of Psychology Journal titled A Neural Network Framework for cognitive bias, which proposes a framework for cognitive biases based on intrinsic characteristics in the brain. So the way that we think because of like the characteristics that have been nurtured in us for survival through evolution in our brains. And there are these four principles. So we have the association principle, which is like patterns and, and search for relationships between things, coherence, links. The Pepe Sylvia meme. Basically, yes. And it's super useful for like, you know, recognizing poisonous plants or predicting future events. But then we have drawbacks like superstitions, (laughs) conspiracy theories, which is, you know, something that may be quite relevant. Also the meme. (laughs) Also the meme. And seeing things that aren't there, basically. Yeah. And actually to think in Supergirl of examples of this back in season four, when Brainy's trying to investigate the manifesto from the Children of Liberty 
Liberty, he starts seeing all kinds of complete nonsense patterns that have <laughs> nothing to do with it because he doesn't know what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. So he just picks anything that seems like it goes together. Yes. And it's also kind of like how we see faces and things and etc. Another principle is the compatibility principle, which is the way that we favor information that is compatible with the information we already have stored in our heads, the knowledge that we have, the opinions and the expectations that we have. We see what we expect to see, literally, (laughs) optically, for instance, which makes processing a lot faster. But then we also have things like confirmation bias, which we've talked about with relation to like car and journalism. And then we have the retainment principle, which is the way that we retain irrelevant information past its usefulness. And then we have the focus principle, which is the way that we will focus on dominant information while neglecting relevant information that's not directly available or recognized. And both the retainment principle and the focus principle are relevant to, say, our susceptibility to lies that are repeated over and over because our brains are primed to favor that which we can most easily recall. Say I learn something and then I learn something else that counteracts that. I can't just let go of the information. I retain it. And then if I'm hearing the thing that is not correct over and over again, because it's so dominant, I will recall more easily that repeated thing, which is how like propaganda tactics online work so well. Mm-hmm. So these four principles, which were the association principle, our pattern recognition, the compatibility principle, which is like information that is consistent with what we already know, the retainment principle, and then the focus principle are just four of the many ways that our brains just set us up for perceiving the world in a particular way. Yeah. And it's important to note that not all biases are necessarily negative. They can have positive effects on your life. For example, if you're biased towards eating certain kinds of foods that end up being like better for you or avoiding Mm -hmm. things that you know cause harm. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time they can be based on stereotypes, which are a form of mental shortcut. And that can cause prejudgment that in many cases is negative or harmful. Mm. And then another sort of framing for our brains that I thought was relevant is emotion. (laughs) Emotions are basically like a lot of information turned into an impression. You can think of it like an impressionistic painting (laughs) or like pointillism, which is when you use a bunch of dots in order to form a bigger picture that you can see only if you stand back. So like an image made of pixels. Or that, yeah. (laughs) But we have all these data points throughout our lives, and then we begin to form patterns, and we don't process every single data point that we've ever experienced at once because our brains aren't capable of that. So we have this impression that is an emotion. Take, you know, baby Carzarel on planet Krypton. She experiences as an infant when her primary caregiver isn't there, her mom, she's in danger. Like that's her like intrinsic knowledge that she has as a living being. And then has that association of my mom's gone. That's not good. She's here. That is good. So obviously, as a 13 year old, Kara has learned the emotion of sadness through those associations over time and impressions and basically data points. But then this huge traumatic experience happens 
where she loses her mom forever and that information becomes super relevant and important in her brain because of how traumatic it was and makes a huge impression. It's like a big paint splatter on the impressionistic painting of her mind. (laughs) So as she gets older and goes throughout her life, she starts to see patterns, you know, going back to that association principle of that in other situations. Like she associates Alex leaving or, or hanging out with Maggie as, oh, this is like that other time. I'm having a memory of this huge traumatic thing, of this really important data point in my head. This is just like that. And then she experiences all the emotions that were associated with that, telling her, hey, pay attention to this. You don't want this to happen to you again. Those feelings of abandonment. And then we also have more of these principles coming into play, like the focus principle, like when she's feeling that feeling of abandonment, like Alex is in season two, not with her on her birthday, the moments that she was connected to Alex and Alex did support her on every other Earth birthday that she had are not on the surface and and they're more out of reach. They're not in focus. And therefore, she misjudges the state of their relationship because of this new thing that is happening. And then we have a similar situation with characters like Lena, who sees patterns in Kara's behavior that maybe aren't actually there because of how important and relevant her traumatic family life is in her brain. (laughs) And then even with Lex in season five, how Lena believes him because, you know, compatibility principle, Lex confirms her worst suspicions about the world and about her loved ones. So she's more likely to accept it as true. Alex, and thinking that she doesn't get to be happy, is <laughs> confirmation bias. Things go wrong, becomes evidence that she focuses on and she pushes aside the positives in life. And then, you know, my favorite thing, core beliefs <laughs> of like, I will always be abandoned. I'm bad. I don't deserve anything, etc. Those different sort of flavors of beliefs about oneself. That is emotionally biased thinking. It's something irrational that a person believes about themselves or, you know, about the world. And then all information is filtered through that, which takes us to coming back to this idea of truth and storytelling. Mm. Narratives, narratives as they relate to individuals and also as cultures and etc. But our own experience of these characteristics in our brains, these biases, principles and emotions is often through narratives that we form. We have a story of ourselves or like an identity and we have a story of others, a story about the world at large. Take how we talk about Alex and her external locus of control frequently. And because of the association principle, we look for patterns in our lives and relationships and links and stories provide a framework for those patterns. We see patterns of like heroes and villains and winning at the end or or losing and that sort of black and white thinking. And in overlaying the events of the world onto a storyline framework, we also expect like clear climactic endings, such as with what people were calling the season finale of 2020, which was the U.S. election. And then also there's that difficulty everyone has been experiencing with COVID 
pandemic not having a clear end. And then, you know, other storyline features we see patterns of in the world are like protagonists and background characters, which is sort of a focus principle popping up again. And then anything that isn't compatible with storyline can be harder to accept for people. And then things that fit these storyline structures can be maybe too easy to accept. And we see the demonstration of the power that narratives can have with, say, the big lie, which is a term you've probably heard used to describe former President Trump and prominent Republican leaders' ongoing baseless claim that the 2020 election was stolen from them. While the term the big lie is definitely fitting for describing the scale of the untruth that was spread throughout the United States during the 2020 election, it is also a reference to a term that was developed during the Nazi reign in World War II. Yes, the big lie, which is also referred to as the stab in the back myth that Jewish people were to blame for Germany's loss in World War One. that basically Germany didn't actually lose, but the victory was stolen from them by the Jewish people. Which should sound familiar. Yes. <laughs> and then also related to this idea of narratives, the fact that the stab in the back reference is one to a story, which is the opera culture Damerung, in which the hero was stabbed in the back by his enemy, which again, we see heroes and villains and storytelling shaping the way that people see the world, which I think gets at the core of one of the toughest and, and most persistent kinds of lies across history, which is the us versus them perception. And then it so neatly fits the way that our brains work, mm -hmm. which is like rejecting information and experiences that are not compatible with your own. So like if there's an other figure, they become a them. Well, and it's a distinction that has historically served our ability to survive as a species. In some ways, but then we'll also get to the ways that we are very like social learners and how it does not always serve us to have these in-group, out-group suspicion dynamics. And then we also have within the context of the United States, this perception that like Democrats or people in minority groups or people in cities are taking from you the election, what you've worked for, the media that you enjoy. You're being canceled, which I find to be an interesting word to have caught on because it is a term taken from like the fandom custom of calling for the cancellation of a TV show for like maybe harmful storylines or depictions, which was then turned into a meme and applied to like canceling human people <laughs> within the media space. And then it grew from there. And again, we see the way that we engage with stories informing the way that we engage with the world. And so we see in these us versus them, heavily saturated dynamics, agents of truth sometimes become the enemy, <laughs> the them, like reporters or scientists take the Nazi smear Lugenpresse to describe Jewish communist and then later foreign press of disseminating what we would maybe hear described as fake news, aka reality that they did not care for. Yes. Which takes us then to science, where <laughs> science is in present day put in opposition with the right wing party via 
climate deniers, evolution deniers, and then obviously the very prominent anti-vax movement. Which actually predated this social media era, Mm -hmm. but has since grown to be a larger problem. It's true. Yeah. These trends, we see them across history, such as with Trofim Lysenko, who is referred to as the poster child of pseudoscience, a member of the Soviet Union, who convinced Stalin that the right way to fix starvation in the USSR due to grain shortages was to reject the evidence-based consensus around genetically engineering food in favor of the idea that traits are actually inherited through straining and that crops would, and I quote, instinctively work together for the good of the collective population. That sounds legit. (laughs) Yes. Which, as you can hear, aligned with the ideology of the Soviet Union. And then they outlawed scientific endeavors that did not back vernalization, is what this theory was called. And ultimately, that caused the death of millions. So these are examples of outright suppressing reality in favor of the story, the narrative, or the ideology, and letting bias drive one's belief without needing reality to confirm said belief. So when we're thinking about this idea that everybody essentially develops a story based on the patterns that they seem to observe in their own life, they develop different kinds of thought biases that prime them to think in different ways that may, as we have seen in a lot of these cases of kind of right-wing ideologies coming to the surface in many countries around the world in the past decade, distort reality in one way or another. Whose responsibility is it to identify the truth or to safeguard it from people who are intentionally and maliciously trying to deny it or keep it from people? So the short answer is all of us should be (laughs) attempting to, you know, check ourselves and make sure that we are in touch with what's actually happening, whether it's in our own life or kind of in the world, things like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, not just not just other people. <laughs> yeah. But um, historically, especially in democratically led countries like the United States, journalists are specifically considered the guardians of democracy. See what I did there? Uh, <laughs> and are this expected line of defense of the truth, in part because journalistic writing is oriented on facts. You know, who was there? When did the thing happen? What was it? Where did it take place? How did it affect people? And you need to have quotes and sources. Uh, (laughs) So thinking of how this is relevant to Supergirl, where obviously several of the characters are involved in journalism and reporting, if you think back to early in season two when Kara decides she's going to be a reporter and she gets started, Snapper does not care for her style of storytelling and building narratives. And he says, you know, I'm not questioning that you got a good scoop or good information. What I'm questioning, he says, is the clear slant in your reporting. If I wanted your opinion of the news, I would have assigned you to (laughs) op-ed. And for context, this was Lena's development of the alien detection device. So Kara clearly had some very strong feelings about that. Yes, which, you know, Kara was tasked with just finding out basic information about Lena rebranding her business, not taking that information and saying, and here's what I think about it. (laughs) And the reason Snapper has a problem with this is that good reporting 
typically will present facts or events without telling you how to think about them or how to interpret them. The goal of good, legitimate journalism (laughs) is to present facts in a way that essentially establish common ground and a shared sense of reality, no matter what your opinion of the event or activity in question is. And what we've seen happening in all kinds of media and just generally in society, especially with the rise of social media and the idea of being able to personalize everything and have instant gratification and get what you want, is a move away from recognizing that we need to have consensus about things Mm -hmm. or agree on what is reality. Mm -hmm. And one of the other important pieces of good journalism being not wholly neutral because no one's point of view is neutral even when they're gathering facts, but it's meant to leave room for you as the consumer of it to think critically. And that is a necessary piece of consuming media, whether it is a news article, whether it is a movie, whether it's a TV show, a book. You need to be able to take in information, not just passively, but you need to actively interpret it and draw conclusions from it. And Mm -hmm. the danger lies in people just mindlessly spreading information without doing that step, which Snapper explains in season two and season five through Andrea illustrates really well in her takeover of Catco, where she moves away from this kind of more traditional storytelling style of journalism to taking a heavier slant towards emotion-driven articles that get clicks and Mm -hmm. just tell people entertaining things. (laughs) So another thing to keep in mind is that print media historically can be more effective at presenting facts, even if that's not why you're buying the newspaper necessarily, because you have to purchase the entire publication when it's in print. You can't just like, well, you could, I suppose, just rip out a page (laughs) and not read the rest of it. But most people, because they've spent money on it, they will skim through all of the sections, even if everything of the magazine or the newspaper is not to their taste. But with digital media, There's a whole different strategy because it's not something physical that you have to like turn pages and look at. Digital media has to actively entice you to come and find it. And it can't make you stay after you consume the specific thing you came to look for. And that's how you get to clickbait headlines and the concept of like infotainment, like Andrea requesting her staff write about sparkly death (laughs) in order to get people to come read Catco's articles. Hard hitting Uh, journalist, Andrea. (laughs) Hey, her costume's also sparkly. She loves a lot of sparkly death. It's fine. (laughs) It's it's just her vibe. Yeah, that's her brand. So, like, why is this a problem? You know, what's so wrong with me watching 15 videos of Whitney Houston's greatest hits in a row on YouTube and (laughs) ignoring maybe any current events that have taken place or (laughs) picking my favorite clickbait BuzzFeed headlines every day? Finding out which Twilight quote speaks to you and what it says about your personality. I can't believe in the year of our Lord. 2021, you have referenced Twilight. I've been getting a lot of ads. (laughs) Maybe because you keep mentioning it. I keep saying vampire. (laughs) That's actually true. She has done that. 
Speaking of that kind of thing. <laughs> so there's a couple of problems. Number one, we are all inclined to seek out things that are familiar and that we already like and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Problem number two is that in the age of digital media, where there's nothing kind of guiding you towards content, people have just created these algorithms that are like, oh, you liked one cat video? Well, then you're going to love 20 more. (laughs) And if you thought you wanted to know about anything else in the world, you will never see it again. Yeah. And over time, get slightly more and more radicalized cat videos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But essentially, that is how it works. And that is how people go from having like a relatively neutral opinion about something to having an opinion that is increasingly extreme. Because mm-hmm. it's only giving you the information that fits super well. Yeah. And it's designed to do that. And it's designed like the VR in season five to keep you there forever. So <laughs> the more it becomes intensely emotionally engaging, the more it becomes incorporated in your personal narrative and your identity, the longer you will engage with it and the more advantageous you will be to the various forces that are trying to get you to spend time on whatever this platform is. (laughs) And the danger with that, especially as far as understanding what is true and truthful in society or even in terms of just understanding like the basic facts about a television show you watch Mm. is that there are what you would call in politics bad actors different from bad actors in television (laughs) (laughs) these are people who essentially are leaders or maybe whole governments in some cases who want to control or harm people and they see the truth and having a shared sense of reality as a threat to their ability to control people. Mm -hmm. They essentially thrive in a fact-free social environment because it makes it easier for them to get away with abusing other people. And as Cycles explained in the parallels with the use of the press in Nazi Germany, Mm -hmm. these people will typically seek to control the media because that is one way of getting people on board with their program. Again, something we have seen several villains in Supergirl do. (laughs) (laughs) So Supergirl's obviously had a number of villains, particularly they've really leaned hard into Lex Partly because it was a comic book thing where Lex became the president, but also because it's reflecting what's going on socially in the United States at this point in time, developing these villains who are manipulators of truth and people who want to control the truth and who has access to it for power. The show has also done a pretty good, if, you know, inconsistent job of using its hero characters to remind us that revealing the truth can be a huge act of bravery but also that it can be dangerous. And you see it in a lot of ways, you know, like Jean disclosing that he's a Martian in season one, Alex coming out to her family and other people, Mm. Nia coming out to James early on in season four. But you also see it specifically within the journalism stories, which is something that gets overlooked a lot, I think, when people talk about the show and the messages of the show. Mm. Like, if you think all the way back to season one, examples of, you know, Telling the truth is brave and can be powerful and also dangerous. All the way back to Kat having that wonderful scene with James where she talks about having been a gossip columnist and finding out that someone she interviewed was being abused by their spouse. And she knew that information, but she did not share it because she thought it didn't match with the narrative that existed about that person. Mm. And then they killed the spouse that she Mm -hmm. interviewed. 
And that deeply affected her and then her integrity as a journalist going forward and creating CatCo. You think about the risks that James took to investigate Max Lord and the experiments he was doing with Bizarro in season one and how, you know, he got captured, beat up pretty badly. Similarly, you had Kara trying to find out the truth about Jack Spears' nanobot technology in season two, which led mm-hmm. to several of the whistleblowers dying in front of Kara. Mm-hmm. And she herself would have been either killed or seriously injured if she had not been Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Similarly, we see Kara, Nia, and James all pursuing the truth about the Children of Liberty and Agent Liberty's identity in season four, and all coming to very immediate harm in that attempt to investigate and unmask those people. Mm. It occurred again in season five where you see Kelly and then William trying to reveal the truth about what's going on with the VR and and how it's harming people. And William getting kidnapped. (laughs) Yeah, and shot. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that too. So there is this momentum throughout the show of saying that the truth is important. And on that note, we get to this kind of bigger question of, okay, well, Supergirl's a piece of fiction. So can fictional media actually teach us about the concept of truth? (laughs) And I mean, Supergirl derived from Superman, whose first word of his motto is truth. So presumably, yes, the answer (laughs) is we can use fiction to learn about something factual and true. And that's why fiction can be an extremely powerful teaching tool. And I don't mean that in the sense of like going and watching a bunch of crash course videos to learn like (laughs) biology. (laughs) I mean it in the sense that this is something I think all of us recognize as we age, that the media that resonated with us as a kid actually shaped us as people in fairly profound ways that we did not see until we were old enough to go back and look at it again. Hmm. Like you think back on maybe books that you were really into as a kid, TV shows that you watched when you were maybe too young to have been allowed to watch them. And then you go back (laughs) as an adult and you're like, wow, I absorbed a lot of things from that. But maybe someone should have stopped me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's getting real here. I mean, but this is actually something that's been explored in the study of education and how we learn. Stories are an extremely powerful tool for teaching us things, which is why every culture has stories and stories that they're fiction, but they are teaching us how to be as people. Mm -hmm. So you have two different ways of putting truth into a story. The first way is to tell the story exactly as it was. So in a very reporter-like manner, you know, (laughs) including every possible fact or accurate detail as you might expect in like historical fiction, maybe where you're trying to replicate the feel of a time that was real Mm -hmm. or when you're just relaying, you know, a story about your day and you should maybe put it in order (laughs) 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 or something along those lines. But the other way you can get to truth in a piece of fiction is by telling a story that feels real. And that means a story that presents us with an emotional truth that is near universally recognizable as a human emotion. (laughs) If we kind of compare it to my emotions metaphor earlier with the impressionistic painting, it gives us an image of a broader truth through these maybe less significant individual details. 
that may not be true. Yeah. And the type of storytelling that's connected to feeling tends to ground things that are completely unreal, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like sci-fi and fantasy kinds of fiction about things that only exist in the imagination, but you do still need something that the audience can connect to. And that's one of the things that Supergirl's very strong at as a show that's about an alien that can fly. You know, it's like, okay, well, what is real? What is the thing that grounds her in the world we all live in and makes her accessible? And it is those emotional pieces. So a good story whether it's an anecdote we're telling our friends or a piece of media that we consume, tends to use both. The goal is you want to believe it. So if you believe it, it does feel real. It does feel true. And if you don't, then it's failed and it's not. So with that in mind, like sometimes trying to steer too close to an exact factual representation of something in fiction can actually harm how realistic the audience thinks it is. <laughs> this is something that actually happens a lot with, like, naming characters, for example. You might do all the research in the world and find the names that people in this exact location would have had at this exact moment in time. But if there's things that just sound constantly jarring to the ear of your listeners, <laughs> it will feel fake. Mm -hmm. It will feel like you made up nonsense words. Because it doesn't fit, you know, the narrative they've got going. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's not just about the accuracy of what you're saying. It needs to feel like it matches the reality of your audience. <laughs> and so if it doesn't, one of the other problems is then sometimes people fixate on how it doesn't match instead. Instead of seeing the kind of deeper emotional truths that are occurring within the story, mm -hmm. which is why it's interesting. And we'll talk about this more in a future episode that we did with another podcast. But there's been this recent trend of critiquing fictional media by doing factual nitpicking. Mm -hmm. This kind of fixation on factual nitpicking as a way of critiquing a piece of fiction for how closely it gets like little exact details like the number of stars on a military uniform or something. <laughs> and essentially what this does, it's kind of the same as people who come into a comment section and the only way they can think of to critique anything is to like nitpick people's spelling. <laughs> it's a way of exerting social power in a way that makes you feel like you're smart, but it also serves a purpose of devaluing a story or an idea that is still delivering an important message. And frequently it's leveled against stories that are delivering important messages about underserved groups of people or underrepresented groups of people, even though maybe the story didn't represent every fact correctly, like the time that Supergirl mislabeled the city in Brazil. <laughs> but it's still telling a story that is delivering a truthful message in a broader sense that's important mm. and then fixating on these tiny little things distract people from caring about the actual important thing, which in some cases is the goal of that kind of criticism. Mm. And speaking of Supergirl as a piece of media that is fictional, but that is still attempting to represent truth, we want to also think about the ways the show narratively deals with truth because it has been such a big part of multiple characters' storylines and the reasons then that they maybe react in the ways that they do to new things. Yeah, so 
Kara as a character, we just talked about in our dad's episode how she does not have an interest in science for the reasons that we talked about, like emotionally. But this episode sort of begs the question, why isn't Kara like the paragon of truth herself? Because, you know, her father was a scientist and mother was an adjudicator and Krypton died because its people couldn't accept the truth about the climate change allegory of harvesting the core of the planet to its destruction. It would follow from those things that Kara would have a sort of interest in preserving the truth. But instead, we see her in terms of like life path and interests be more involved with the humanities, with art and writing and choosing to become a reporter. But she isn't driven by the truth in her reporting for its own sake, like at any cost, the same way that we see with Lois Lane or mm-hmm. in real life, Bob Woodward, <laughs> a sort of paragon of reporting who was actually referenced in the show in season four when Alex said people are going to be talking about this article like they did with Woodward and Bernstein, comparing the unveiling of Lex's secret plans with Kosnia and Agent of Liberty to Watergate. For those of you who forgotten since we talked about this in season four, (laughs) Watergate was a political scandal that until this year was the worst corruption scandal of a president who tried to cheat an election. Mm. So yeah. (laughs) That's where we are now. (laughs) That's where we are now. But so Bob Woodward purports that he values objectivity and facts and and unbiased and specifically like nonpartisan truth above all else to a degree that the average person maybe would not align themselves with. (laughs) But it sort of makes sense for Carr to not align herself with the truth specifically in that kind of intense way (laughs) that we see with Lois and and Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Your close personal friend, Bob Woodward. (laughs) It makes sense for Carr to have this, apart from just like not being naturally interested in science, for instance, to be more interested in, say, the humanities, because Krypton died not because the information wasn't like available, Mm -hmm. but because its people weren't convinced or moved to act to save it, which we saw explored in the flashbacks with Astra and Alora in season one. Because, you know, the truth is not self-evident. As we've been talking about, it's always filtered through the way that you see the world and the stories that you hold, which I think is difficult for people to accept, particularly Mm. on the left, because I think in part due to values and the idea that the truth should be apparent. And and if it's not obvious to you, then that means that you're probably just a bad person like who doesn't want to see the truth or, or you fail some way morally. Or you're just not smart. That's also that's yeah. also a big part of it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, ironically, this is a very value driven perception that blinds people from seeing the truth, which is just that people don't work that way. People have to be convinced and it's a little harder. <laughs> and it's not enough to be correct. You have to also be convincing. And so we see with Kara, her superpower is reaching people through reporting and, and obviously through Supergirl. So we see with Kara, her be driven by her value or the sort of story of I save people. She wants to reach them. So 
we see the truth as a principle or like the best practices designed to protect the truth come second to that, come second to saving people Mm. and helping them. And this is why she has such conflict with Snapper in season two, the alien detection device thing where like the important thing for Kara is I have to convince people that this is terrible so that something can be done about it you know (laughs) that's the way that she's perceiving it and then the poor sourcing in season two for the cadmus deportations because she couldn't actually have the deo on record concerning it and was just you know hi i'm supergirl i have this information take my word take my word um which sakara like she knows that that's true (laughs) from her point of view yeah (laughs) well and Kara as a character is a person of such high integrity she knows that she as Supergirl would never lie about something like that but to Snapper Mm -hmm. the jaded suspicious (laughs) journalist who's always looking for the angle and the real truth that's not Mm -hmm. good enough that's not good enough well also you know Supergirl could could have some sort of mistaken impression there are you know these truth-driven reasons to be careful when you are reporting but Kara has this sort of blind spot because she's always focused on doing the most good and in a way that is very like straightforward willpower based and then hard work in like a specific direction as opposed to more Mm. reflective and and you know that challenging of her preconceptions difficulty that she had in season two but then we see growth for Kara obviously with say the Amade article in season Mm. four yep when you know she was trying to paint an alien as a saint basically is what she said and it backfired when he apparently you know turned out to have made a mistake in his life and was not like a perfect nice person all of the time forever so then Kara because of that experience creates the aliens of National City and Kara says that you know she'll talk to a different alien every week but not just the noted ones like Amade and they don't have to be saints Aliens are just as flawed as everyone else, but I think telling their stories or all sides of them can still help heal the divide in the city. So she takes a more nuanced and balanced approach to the reporting on the aliens of National City. And seeming fair or nonpartisan gives credibility to your reporting or your truth telling because it's very much about trust. There was a focus group from a GOP pollster done on vaccine resistant Republicans, and it found that they didn't want ads from any politicians, including politicians within their own party. And they favored doctors' advice and were swayed by like transparency around the risk versus the benefit and, and nuanced facts around that that addressed their fears that they already had. There was a research project, KFF COVID-19 Vaccine Monitor, which published a poll saying that 21% of adults who weren't explicitly planning to get vaccinated report being vaccinated now. And the thing that played a big role for many of them was friends, family, and personal doctors trying to persuade them, seeing friends and family without serious side effects. And these elements, which are very much about like trust, people trust their personal doctors, they trust their friends and family members, and trust around politicians is not so no so then Kara as Supergirl and in some other situations gets through to people as this very trusted figure within the world of Supergirl 
by addressing their emotional needs, their need for trust being one of them, and then others being having a sense of identity, say with Olivia, who was in Coville's cult in season three, appealing to her like, this is someone else's life, this is Coville's life, and encouraging her that she can discover who she is without being involved in this cult. And Kara appeals to people's need to be connected to others, say in season five with the woman who tried to blow up the Obsidian VR launch after she had just lost her husband. And Kara was like, what you want is for people to engage, for people to know what it's like to be in the outside world, to be a partner, to love, to have friends, you know, appealing to that sense of loss of her husband and the idea that this is the need that she's trying to fill. Mm -hmm. In multiple times in season one, Carr appeals to people's need to feel secure in the world, say in the robbery scene in Human for a Day when... Mm Yeah. Kara talks down the man and is like, I know you're scared. We're all scared. Again, you know. Creating a shared sense of reality. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And also a sense of community on that emotional level. And then the finale hope speech of season one. And Kara does this in a positive way. But this holds true for situations like with cults or conspiracy groups, say with QAnon. Travis View, who is the host of the podcast QAnon Anonymous, said that we all need to have a feeling of significance. We all need to have a feeling of community and we all need to have some sense of optimism for the future. And if you're not getting that in any other way, then QAnon can fill that role. There's this tech company called Moonshot, which reaches people at risk from online harms and they say offers them an alternative path. It's a company that was created to disrupt violent extremism and other global problems. They say, we've been running campaigns to reach far-right extremists for three-plus years across the U.S. These users are open to these messages, asking them to reflect on their choices, appealing to their ties to their loved ones, and offering crisis support, which is pretty much everything that Kara does <laughs> as <laughs> yes, <Supergirl>. actually. <laughs> which, you know, this all gets to, obviously, the core of the show being stronger together. And in terms of the truth... It brings us to this idea of what I call smarter together. (laughs) So like brainy and the big brain. (laughs) Wow, that's true. Yes. As human as outgroup suspicion is, we are as intelligent as we are because we are social learners, you know, despite the fact that we don't have the sheer brain power that chimps do. We have the ability to learn from each other. And that gets us a lot further in terms of, you know, making rocket ships. And trust is really important if we are going to learn socially. It's important for growth and knowledge and grounding in truth and having that shared sense of reality. Hence, conspiracy is growing in in times where trust is low. And then to kind of bring it back around to the truth, justice in the American way, which season one of Supergirl probed into that a lot in trying to differentiate Kara from Clark. Clark actually ultimately makes sense as being someone who stands for truth because he's a journalist, but also because he represents truth in another one of its forms, which is sincerity in his character, like the way he behaves and Mm. in his actions and in his speech, which is not just, you know, speeches he makes as Superman, but speech like his writing. So Mm. in that sense, it was great that he's the paragon of truth because that really represents him, which is why then the show deciding that Kara needs to find her own voice and her own motto that represents her truth as a character with very different lived experiences as a Kryptonian Mm. was cool. Yeah. And then, you know, with regard to Kara's motto, 
hope also serves an important function with regard to truth. This kind of we've been talking about in terms of trust being low and hope being quite linked to trust and Kara's core value of stronger together. Having hope sort of leaves room for the truth. For instance, resilience and optimism studies show are important for resistance against psychological manipulation from like extremists or, you know, cults. Or your terrible family if you are Lena. <laughs> yes, this is true. Well, you know. Which is why she struggles. Yeah. <laughs> Lena leaning heavily into pessimism really reveals her blind spots in terms of the truth. Mm. And then Kara, contrastingly, is quite skilled at and then also biased toward seeing possibility and seeing past maybe the immediate reality to mm. what is possible. And then that's because of how ingrained that is in her story and her history. Yes. And that's also a nice example of a case where a bias toward something is not necessarily bad because in this case, Kara's ability to not only see what's right in front of her, but see how she could nurture it into something better is actually a benefit to herself and others. Yeah. I mean, especially if we go back to the idea of like the limits of the brain, mm. having an understanding that maybe we're not seeing the full picture <laughs> is important in terms of, you know, future planning and trying to adapt. Yes. And overall, one of Carr's biggest strengths is related to those sort of limits of the brain that we've been talking about. In how she distills complex, like learned knowledge into these shortcut hope speeches, <laughs> yep. where she appeals to shared beliefs and universal truths to work past like strong narratives that other people are forming around like identity. Because we need shortcuts to function in society and reality, <laughs> but we need good shortcuts and good storytellers to provide a nuanced frame for understanding the world. And presenting it in a way that is both, you know, factually accurate to some extent, but also feels truthful. Right. Yes. And so Supergirl as a story that's about hope and strength and togetherness which is told almost through this sort of lens of, of myth, if we think about like classical storytelling throughout the years. It explores truths related to these ideas. And often the show attempts to explore quite simple feelings or concepts in a nuanced way. And when they do it with care, they provide lessons and, and shortcuts that we can carry with us to make our lives better or make the world a better place, ultimately, which is like the pinnacle of storytelling goals. <laughs> mm. Yeah, nice. And on that note, thank you for sticking with us through this slightly different style of episode. <laughs> we will be revisiting this theme with looking at the concepts of justice and the American way and how <laughs> Supergirl has taken its own spin on those as well. But since the show is coming back on air for the last set of episodes of the series very soon, we may not get to the other topics in this series until the show is closer to being over just because mm -hmm. of our time constraints. But that said, we do have another episode coming up in a couple of weeks, and we are going to do an episode focusing on the first part of season six before the rest of it comes back on the air to refresh everyone's memories and also start putting the pieces together on kind of where the show has already gone, where it seems like it's going and what it's trying to say, speaking of truths and messages. Mm. Yes, in this final season of Supergirl. Yeah. 
And as always, please feel free to send us feedback, comments, and questions at SupergirlsAttic on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. And if you are feeling so inclined, please leave us a review or a rating. If you use iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, whatever, please tell people that you like us. (laughs) Give us that sweet, sweet validation. And thanks for listening.